everyone, my name is Taniella Evans and I'm the co-creator of Global Literacy Org NABU and I'm also your host for this Women Giving a Bleep podcast. Women Giving a Bleep is a space for women and their allies who are building enterprises to change the world, where we will discuss the opportunities and the challenges associated with building out their boundary-breaking enterprises. Welcome to Women Giving a Bleep. In this episode of Women Giving a Bleep, I chat to Annie Griffiths, one of the first women photographers to work for National Geographic. Annie has photographed in nearly 150 countries during her incredible career. In this episode, she shares her motivation, how she broke into the industry, how she used her unique perspective as a woman to gain access to different stories, how she balanced having a family with her creative career, and finally, why she founded nonprofit Ripple Effect Images to help other nonprofits tell their stories better. Annie, um, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on Women Giving a Bleep. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. So we're going to really get into, you know, your career and your background, and um, we're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, work-life balance, I suppose, and maybe we'll think of a better word for it during this interview. Um, but I want to start with like just where it all began, um, and maybe you can tell me um, and our listeners a bit about you. Sure. Well, I grew up in Minneapolis, and um, my childhood was unremarkable. Uh, just happy, and um, and the one thing that that I do know from my childhood that ended up having a tremendous influence on what I ended up doing was that I was a voracious reader. We, we lived literally one block from the library. And so I read constantly and we weren't allowed to watch TV. In fact, we didn't get a TV until I was 10. <laughs> so by that time I was fully immersed in, in books and magazines. Well, we love to hear that and now be that you were a voracious reader. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I would love to read more now. I, I end up getting so busy that I don't give myself the gift of, of just reading um, often enough. So anyway, uh, I went to the University of Minnesota and was planning to become a writer. Uh, so I went to, into the journalism program, but somehow something wasn't clicking inside of me. So I took a gap year. Um, and just did a bunch of different things during that gap year. And, and when I came, came back, I'd gotten a little camera. And when I came back, I thought, well, I'm going to take a course to learn how to use this camera. And I, and, uh, I did. I actually couldn't get into the, the beginning photojournalism course because it wasn't my major. But I just went to audit it. And somebody didn't show up for their spot. And so I got their spot. And literally two weeks later, I changed my major. My life changed. I, I realized um, that, that, that this joy I had been searching for happened when I was telling stories with photographs. And it was just as um, moving to me as when I was writing. And um, so that from that point on, I, I you know, I was already a junior in college, so uh, I, I had to put my head down and really work hard, and I did. And as soon as I finished um, my, my university degree, I went to work at a small rural daily 
um, in southern Minnesota called the Worthington Daily Globe. And it was a fantastic little newspaper with a wonderful photographic history. Um, so, it, and I was the second photographer they hired. They'd always had these great photographers. Um, so there were two of us and, and uh, the other photographer was Jim Brandenburg and he was a, an accomplished photographer and incredibly generous with his, you know, he really mentored me um, and encouraged me. And so I was, it was almost like taking a master class to be one of two people. And at that newspaper, we had very, very few assignments. Our job was to figure out what needed to be covered. It was, uh, you know, it was just such a small staff and such a gifted staff that everybody, writers and photographers, were all expected to figure out what needed to be covered and what was important to the people. And that prepared me uh, for National Geographic in a way that if I'd been at a place that said, okay, be at the courthouse at Tuesday and get a headshot of Judge, you know, <clears throat> that kind of, of schedule would have left me a little bit panicked. Um, on my first assignment with Geographic. But instead, because two years later, I, I got my first assignment at Geographic, and it, I just went and did it, you know, without um, needing much direction at all. And that's really what the job is. The job is, um, you know, you need to be your own worst boss in that you know, nobody knows if you even get up in the morning. And, um, and if you're not self-motivated, and if you aren't aware of the quality of the work that your colleagues are doing, um, and if you're not passionate about the story you're telling, you'll just fail. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and that has happened to photographers where it's too much freedom and, and they, they panic and, 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 uh, and fail. Um, but for me, it was just an extension of something that I'd always, always done. So it was really um, great. It was a wonderful transition. It was terrifying because I was one of the first women at National Geographic, but I was also the youngest. And I was from the Midwest and I hadn't been anywhere. I hadn't been east of Ohio. Uh, and suddenly I'm among these colleagues who uh, just know so much more, are more seasoned, um, are more knowledgeable. And they were so kind to me. You know, it's funny because people kind of assume that because I was one of the first women photographers that I was harassed or resented. Or, I did not encounter that. Um, there were times when I encountered a paternal attitude that wasn't going to work. I mean, even at the little newspaper, I remember the first time <laughs> uh, I found out that um, the publisher who, you know, was an older gentleman, kind person, was nervous about me driving the Iowa roads at night to cover basketball tournaments. And I had to sit down with him and explain that I, I, I had to just be a photographer, not the girl photographer. I have felt from the beginning that I had a tremendous advantage being a woman because for starters, um, I had half the human population whose stories weren't being told very much um, because most photographers were men. Most photographers were American men. Um, and there was very little diversity. And so I was able to roll up my sleeves and, and know about and cover stories that a lot of times didn't even occur to the guys. Or the
I will tell young photographers this, it's like, take a look at what you have in addition to the ability to, to take wonderful photographs. You know, wherever you have something to offer, then come to potential employers with ideas and solutions, not with that, you know, kind of your hands out, please, sir, can I have a job? You know, it's a, it's a complete reversal where you are coming to uh, a potential client or employer or publisher or whatever um, with an energy that says, here's what I can do for you. And you can do it very gently, but it just means you come with more than photographs. Mm, yeah, I think that's very powerful in terms of, um, you know, even as I think about growing our organization at NABU and just seeing how employment has changed. I don't think that kind of, maybe it exists, but I'm not sure that career path exists where <clears throat> it's mapped out for you the whole way. And, you yeah. know, there's a role and it's clearly defined. I mean, things are changing so quickly in this modern world. Yep. That if you can come to a job interview or a meeting with ideas and really take initiative, you know, I think that's phenomenal. Um, yep. I mean, I do, my opinion is, you know, there is structural injustice that exists. I mean, that's evident. We're seeing that all around us. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that's self-evident. But what I hear you saying is that there's an opportunity as well for us as women to, you know, to, to bring the, the unique perspective that we have to mm -hmm. our work. And I love that that's what you did through your work and you continue to do. And that idea of, you know, half the sky, women are holding up half the sky um, and that you really honed in on their experience. I mean, of course you, you photograph all kinds of subjects, but especially with, with women, and maybe we can talk about that and some of your favorite assignments um, and, you know, capturing women. How are you able to, to do that and to really, you know, how did, I guess, being a woman um, give you that advantage in capturing uh, some of these incredible stories? Oh, in so many ways. <clears throat> I mean, I remember one of the first, the first times I realized that I had an advantage was for this little book project for National Geographic. I photographed a woman's hair salon, a farmhouse beauty salon, you know, which is very common in rural America and rural anywhere. Um, there's a a lady who makes some money by doing people's hair. And, um, and, and it was just the sweetest little story. Um, but I remember realizing that I'd never seen that covered before. You, and I'd seen endless stories on barbershops and, you know, well, that's because it was mostly guys out there and they didn't even know about a farmhouse beauty salon, you know? So, um, and also while I was there, the ladies weren't embarrassed to have their hair in curlers and their, you know, um, you know, it's that sorority that exists just as a fraternity exists among men. And there are many things that women are just not aware of. Um, and I mean, it speaks to diversity in general. It, it's just one of those things where it's a it's a centering honestly in your reality and a self-acceptance that makes you feel I can do this and I can do stuff that other people can't do and I want to and I'm gonna 
So anyway, uh, but I did, I, uh, I went to geographic after two years at the newspaper and had incredible um, support from the director of photography at that time, Bob Gilka, um, who, who really was dedicated to uh, diversifying his, his team of shooters because he realized he was covering the world with just a bunch of white American guys. And, um, and I was one of the lucky beneficiaries of that consciousness. Um, so, uh, you know, I will always be grateful. And then, you know, the, the, the job for the first 10 years was just terrifying because I was afraid they were surely going to find out that I had no business being there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great motivator too. You know, you just work really, really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, you've taken, and this is going to be a hard question, but you've taken some like truly incredible photographs, like your photos made me laugh, like the high school graduating class of North Dakota, yep. two, two people in uh -huh. the class. And, you know, it just kind of is so, it just sparks that when you look at it, um, mm -hmm. as well as inspiring images like Melissa with Down syndrome and capturing her spirit, mm -hmm. um, worshippers in Palestine and Israel. So what are the key ingredients in capturing those kind of, iconic images that just communicate and move people? I think it's a combination of, of sincerity, of, of um, helping people to realize you are genuinely interested in them because you are, and then uh, curiosity about wanting to know more, wanting to know more about them, about their the place, about whatever the assignment is. Um, it's all about building trust. And the key ingredient um, to building trust are those two things plus time. Mm -hmm. You know, enough time uh, to earn that trust, which is the greatest gift National Geographic has ever given any of us. And of course, like all publishing houses, that time has been cut way back, way back, way back, but it's still a greater amount of time than any other publication will give mm -hmm. a photographer. Um, so instead of months, it's weeks. Um, but I don't, you know, and sometimes it's days. But um, I am continually blown away by what my colleagues continue to achieve despite those restrictions, despite, you know, that they just get it done and the quality of the storytelling and the imagery is excellent. Um, and I think the internet is a real opportunity for so many um, young photographers to just start publishing, sort of start self-publishing, but also to look at, to look at hundreds of other photographers and see what is it they like, what works, what doesn't work. You know, uh, if you like it, could you do it? Would you know how to do it? Or are there skills you need to learn? Um, if you don't like it, how come? What, what, where are you seeing a lack of connection with somebody else's work? It's, it's visual literacy. It's a really incredible how um, you can use the power of, of photography and storytelling to bring these facts to life. And with Ripple Effect Images that you founded, you created over 50 films, over 45,000 photographs, donated them to organizations, 
helping them raise over $10 million. Um, how exactly does it work? Uh, how do you choose partners? So you come alongside kind of not other nonprofits that are already working with women and girls and, and help them amplify uh, their work. Is that uh -huh. right? How does that relate? Well, well, it's complicated, but basically we have a team of, of a very small team of extraordinary photographers and filmmakers and animators. And um, uh, we are, are trying to cover seven main issues um, that women are finding solutions for. So it's food, water, uh, energy poverty, you know, they have no, no light, no, um, you know, but it, it impacts them in so many ways. Uh, education, of course, which is huge, health, uh, economic empowerment, and, um, and you know, coping with and actually being part of mitigating climate change. I hope I got all seven there. Um, anyway, so we're trying to make sure that we are, we cover things globally, that we take a look at what's working so that it can be shared. It's a very female model. There's no exclusivity. There's no, well, that's my program. That's it. This is about sharing solutions. Um, the photographer's great gift is that, you know, they go out and they, they do these assignments for us. Um, and, and they're paid because, you know, it's, photographers are struggling right now too. But they're paid a, an editorial day rate. And then their great gift is they allow that material to continue to be used by Ripple and our aid partners without any additional licensing. And that allows us to be so, to be able to move so quickly and, and to keep this work out there. Um, Cause we want this fantastic visual storytelling to really make a difference. So we're publishing every day. We're, you know, on social media, our partners are using the material. Um, and so, you know, the tricky part to your original question is um, figuring out who's doing the, the most impressive work, especially if it's innovative. Um, and then beyond that, have we spent too much time in Southeast Asia? Is it time for us to actually really drill down on programs in South America? Or because we want to, to have a global coverage of solutions um, so that we can then creatively repurpose that material to do something like what happens when a girl goes to school? You know, uh, what, because the other thing that is rarely heard by the Western world is that the world is getting better. There are more girls in school, less disease, less poverty. There are so many things that are um, improving because of aid work and, and also just will you know um and also because there are more programs now investing in women so they work <laughs> right. so but you know there's still mountains to climb but uh you're so right actually I mean, people don't hear the story that you know the number of people living in extreme poverty has halved within our lifetime i mean that's phenomenal isn't it and and that yeah. we actually even have a roadmap of the sustainable development goals Mm -hmm. to guide us to a world where there is zero poverty. I mean, that's phenomenal progress, both in terms of what we've already achieved and what we can achieve when we put our minds to it. So yeah. you're telling good stories, you're telling good, good news stories as well. 
Well, and it, you know, it's more than good news. It's proof. Um, it's proof that things are solvable. It's, mm-hmm. it's not um, happy, happy, happy stuff, but it's, um, it's hopeful mm-hmm. and, um, and it's more accurate. Accuracy really helps. Knowledge helps. Yeah, I love that because I think sometimes when I look at the charitable sector, you know, we are part of that process of not showing people's agency and their will, their ability to overcome and their overcoming that happens when we're not even there. And, you know, that this is a process that development um, and change and growth is being completely driven, you know, by people in their own community. I think that's such a powerful thing that we're doing, that you're doing and helping organizations to tell that story. I mean, I think, you know, there was that a time when telling that victimhood story really was so prevalent because people respond to it and they give money right away. But I think that, you know, what we try to do at NABU and I think what Ripple Effect Images is doing is creating a new, like, telling the real accurate story and that's going to be much more sustainable in the long run Mm -hmm. right having people come along on that journey and want to support those women not just right now because they're desperate and in need Mm -hmm. but because they are transforming their own lives and their own communities and their own nations yeah yeah and they're rarely i mean even though you know there are societies where you know there's a male chief or the but women are running the place you know that that's the thing that also um, their 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 absolute competence is rarely on view um, by the media you know and they are so competent and you know they you see it I mean and then if you if women have an opportunity to get together with each other and some of the most effective programs we've covered, employ that opportunity. Then together, holy moly, what they can do. <laughs> and they're also insatiable. So they solve one problem and they're on to the next problem and they're on to the next problem. So they're, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's so uh, exciting and um, and humbling to see women who face enormous obstacles getting it done. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, and the power of, of storytelling. I mean, I'm not surprised that the aid organizations you've worked with have raised over $10 million um, and that it works. Uh, at NAVU, we actually raised our first funding on Kickstarter. And one mm-hmm. of the first supporters was an incredible, he's still an amazing supporter, an incredible photographer called Nathan Johnson. Um, and he traveled with me to Haiti wow. to film our first Kickstarter video. And you know, that video raised us our first $100,000, which seemed so much money. It's still so much money, but at that time it seemed an impossible goal yeah. and it would not have been possible without him capturing that. So I'm so well, not you know, there, What, what, uh, you know, the reason that I founded Ripple um, was I recognized that aid organizations usually were not very good at telling their own story. Right. 
And we're so too in that, work. We're too like in it and we can't see it. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and, and I understand that if you have an aid organization and you, uh, you take a look at the, the, the real cost of, of producing a, a, a good film or good coverage or really beautiful pictures. Um, and then you think, yeah, but we could use that $20,000 to do this or to do that, or there's a sticker shock. Um, and so the, the first solution most organizations do is just to say, okay, anybody who's in the field with a cell phone, just take some pictures and that's how we'll populate our website and that's how we'll tell our stories. And that I understand that. I mean, a lot of times, you know, it's even uh, when, when I'm talking with organizations, because when they come to us, we can also work with them on a fee for service. Uh, basis, which is, you know, doubled our capacity to cover these stories. But uh, they'll even say, well, do you have somebody in the country so we don't have to pay for the plane ticket? And, um, and I just, I try to say, but the plane ticket is so small compared to what the potential storytelling will be if you use the right photographers. You know, it's not, and it, but it's a really hard thing for people to accept, especially now that everybody's taking pictures with their phones. Uh, but the difference in um, being able to move donors and, and help people understand the difference between an intimate presentation of these people or of them standing in front of their hut or whatever, where you don't connect with them at all. There's, it's just a, it's night and day. Mm -hmm. And so there's a false economy um, that I understand, um, you know, when, when they're looking at their budget and trying to decide, but a lot of aid organizations, it doesn't occur to them to have a, mar a marketing budget. Yeah. And, you know, they're going after, you know, million dollar grants um, with really weak presentation materials. And they're, you know, so when they when they come in with with effective storytelling about their work, people get it and they go, yeah, that is so cool that we, yeah, we want to support that. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a learning curve. Yeah, definitely. I know you talk about uh, work-life balance uh, quite mm -hmm. a bit, and I'm sure that women listening will be really interested because I think the way that you, you know, brought your children along on your assignments. Um, you talk about in your book, a camera, two kids and a camel, mm -hmm. best title for a book ever. <laughs> but, um, maybe you just talk to even just for a couple of minutes on how you managed a career that you loved with having a family. Having sure. Well, I think, you know, I'm no different than any working parent. Um, you know, when the, the difference is that I travel in chunks of time. Uh, and when, when I was having my kids, I have two fabulous kids, um, those chunks of time were large. Um, so as a, as a family, we had to decide how we were gonna make that work. And um, I'd seen a lot, of, a lot of families fall apart at National Geographic because they, they didn't sort of consciously find that balance. And, um, and so I, I made a pledge that I would not be away from my kids for more than two weeks until they were out of high school. 
And that um, was a big commitment at a time when most of my assignments were like three months. So that meant they had to come with me. And, um, and so, and, and I, was I was fine with that. It also meant though that I had to figure out how to do it. I had, you know, um, of, the, of the male photographers um, who, who have traveled with their kids a lot, they almost always have their partner, you know, their, their spouse with them. Um, so I needed a wife. And um, so I, <laughs> the way I just like looked at it practically. And so I realized that we needed to have a, a, a nanny um, who could travel with me and who, who the kids knew and loved and who could fill their days so that I was free to do the work that I needed to do. And we never stayed in hotels. We stayed in, you know, back then there was no Airbnb. I wish there had been, but I would find an apartment or a beach house. And we, once we lived on a kibbutz, um, any, any place that where there was a neighborhood and where they could get up in their pajamas and eat their Rice Krispies and not, not have to go to a restaurant or behave or any of that stuff. So anyway, that's what we did. So I guess in closing, um, you know, what advice do you have for women who want to follow in your footsteps and kind of find a way to bridge their creative work and social impact? Well, I think, I think I would not worry about my footsteps, but follow their own path and um, not set expectations that there's a difference between hopefulness and over, you know, enlarged expectations. Um, the world is completely, for in our industry, in many industries, it's a completely different world now than it was when I started out. Before me, my mom's generation, completely different world. I, you know, she wouldn't have had a prayer of doing this stuff. Um, but there's good stuff and bad stuff. And, um, and I think what you want to do is, is search your heart and think about what you care about. If you want to tell stories, then tell stories about things you care about and start in your own backyard. I mean, Ripple has launched this new initiative called Photography for Good. And we did it because we're very focused on women and specific solutions. But I have so many colleagues that are, are doing the same thing on a different subject. So uh, one of my colleagues has made an incredible um, body of work about endangered species. Another one has done an incredible body of work about um, retreating glaciers. Uh, you know, uh, Amy Vitale, who works with Ripple, in addition to her work with women, is, you know, really focused on endangered wildlife in Africa. So she's done beautiful work with rhinos and elephants and giraffe. And, um, and, uh, and other people are, you know, tackling very difficult subjects like Lynn Johnson, who's one of our photographers, has done this beautiful body of work on autism and helping people understand that's photography for good. So when, when people say, often the hardest thing is to start. So what I say is start with what you love. You know, if you love animals, if you love dogs and cats or something, Go to the local shelter and ask them if you could photograph their animals in creative ways to help them get adopted. If you love Habitat for Humanity, go offer your um, storytelling abilities for them to, to start telling their story. 
And the more you do it, the more your skills will improve and the more you'll get published and your work will be used. And eventually, you know, you get to a place where you're really, it becomes your living. But often we start, I mean, most photographers, including all of my colleagues, we don't do just one thing anymore. It used to be all we did was work for National Geographic. Well, now among my colleagues, you know, we teach, we, uh, we lead tours, we um, uh, picture edit, we, you know, a lot of photographers have learned how to fly drones or, um, or, or do video. Um, you, you have to constantly be expanding. I do a lot of public speaking, which has helped my career a lot. So it's not like you just go to one place and you get that job and that's going to be it. Um, it's much more about honing a bunch of skills so that you are valuable in different ways. And then if one thing dries up, like stock photography, you've got something else that rises up. So it's, it's, it's like almost like a portfolio, having a portfolio of skills and clients and um, options that will, you know, support you, but also enrich your life. And a lot of times the photography for good is not about making money. Actually, it's never about making money. Uh, it's about um, passion projects. And, um, and it's, you know, that's the driving force, whether it's for, whether the photographers, many, many of them, of course, are, are hired to do things, but they go well beyond one assignment and they create a body of work. Mm. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Annie. Welcome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, sharing your experience and your really unique perspective, I feel like, on, on life. This has gone beyond creative work <laughs> alone. You know, just really your approach and your attitude is super inspiring. And I know a lot of people I'm can lucky. it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing is be grateful. We have to all just remember to be grateful for mm. what we have and not be out looking at what somebody else has. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good message. Thank you so much to Annie Griffiths, another incredible woman giving a bleep. We always welcome continuing the conversation, so feel free to email me at womengiving at nabu.org with feedback or recommendations for other topics or guests you would like us to interview. Follow our Instagram at nabu.org to be kept in the loop on everything social impact, culture and community. And until next time, keep on giving a bleep.